and welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading, where both hosts are in the process of ascending to a new plane of existence. Mine, because I'm possibly dying. Uh, mine, because I'm spiritually dying. Also, I'm now kind of convinced that my daughter or my stepdaughter exists in my life to give me some disease to kill me. Like, yeah, that checks. Like, this keeps me from becoming too powerful. Because did her dad get sick? No. Did no. her bio mom get sick? No. no. You got did sick. Did I get sick? Yeah. I couldn't get out of bed for what? two days. Real what fun. did you message me recently that it's like, do you ever think that we have chronic illness and mental illness so that we wouldn't become too powerful? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. See, I'm hoping to ascend past the depression stage just into full-time mania because then I'll get shit done. Mood. Uh, so it is Black History Month. Uh, there's a lot going on in the U.S., including a toxic chemical cloud over Ohio. I was going to say, isn't that just Ohio? But I need to not. No, I actually have a very good friend who lives in Ohio. Hmm. And every time I make an Ohio joke, she's like, bitch, you live in Texas. And she's yeah, right. I don't think that Texans have much moral superiority over oh. Ohio, except for the chili on spaghetti. Okay, that's fair. So under the desk news the other day, it was like, can we just have one day where an atrocity doesn't come out of Texas? And it's like, the only reason you guys don't know about our daily atrocities is because we don't have sunshine laws like uh, Florida. Yeah, like, it's much worse than I think anyone thinks it is. You just hear about the really big bad stuff. You don't hear about the day-to-day -day shitty stuff. Oh, yeah. The day-to-day, -day, we're going to make this difficult for you. Also, my favorite thing on TikTok right now is the trans man with an egg-laying fetish who says that he is the reincarnation of Adolf Hitler. Oh, I saw. The only reason I saw is because my friend goes, I think you need to see this bullshit. And I'm like, please don't send me this bullshit. But she didn't send me the direct video. She sent me somebody's response to it. So, Oh, I was there from the start. I, uh... Uh, here's the thing. Yes. The New Age community. Yes. As a member of the New Age community. <laughs> people are not good at not being racist. No. Um, Starseed shit is bullshit. And something you'll notice pretty heavily is everybody wants to be somebody famous in their past life regressions. Yes. It is very rare. It's it's rarer than an American going to Scotland saying they're related to William Wallace and actually being related to William Wallace. <laughs> because I gotta tell you, when I studied in Scotland, almost everyone in my group is like, I'm related to Mary Queen of Scots. I'm related to William Wallace. I'm related to Robert the Bruce. And I'm like, no, you're probably fucking not. You want delusions of grandeur, you want a castle, you're an American who's never going to get outside of a 9-to-5 job. Trust me, I understand the desire to be something more than you are. Mood. But waking up as Hitler in a past life regression, dude, you want something. You want something. And it's also like one of those things, I was talking to Amber about this, because we have this whole thing that like, 
white people overshare. We are going to get to the book. Don't worry. This is a through line. It's like white people overshare. Because I can't imagine like if that happened to me that I would tell anyone. Right. That is something that I would bury so far in my psyche that I like, no, that would never see the light of day. Like you're doing a past life regression and you're like, holy shit, I'm Benito Mussolini. I don't think you would go and tell a bunch of Italian people that. No, I wouldn't say jack or shit. Uh, speaking of, we're talking about the narrative life of Frederick Douglass. <laughs> a book that um, is very famous. I pr Probably one of the most famous and important books we've read on this show. But interestingly enough, not read nearly as much as you would think. No, and I actually, I saw that disparity a little bit uh, when, so, you know, we always ask, do we read this book or not? I realized that the reason why I've read this book multiple times is purely because I was raised in a black household. I doubt, I don't remember having to read it in school, maybe like once, but I have read this multiple times because I was raised by black people. <laughs> See, and I was raised in a community that believed racism no longer existed because we were all holding hands and we were happy Californians in Southern California. So clearly racism didn't exist anymore. <laughs> then, then you go to high school and you're like, why are people making fun of the Mexican kids? It's like, wait, what? Racism still exists? No. Uh, wait. <laughs> so I was really excited to read this book because I've read it a million times. Frederick Douglass is, when we say like a hero, like an actual like hero and icon. Yeah, like legitimately. So I'm going to tell you, this was the first time I read this book, mm -hmm. which is an embarrassment that it took me this long. Um, it is fucking good. It it's is great. so beautifully written. Like, it's horrifying. I mean, it's, like, it's horrifying yeah. the stuff that Frederick Douglass went through, but it is so beautifully written. The prose is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And that's not a surprise, like, based off his speeches or anything like that. So, like, no, don't think that this is, like, my ancient aliens coming for you. But it's because that stuff is bullshit. And um, it is. <laughs> the Mayans would like to talk to you about your bullshit. Anyhow, um, it's just... You kind of expect something from that time period to be fucking dry. It's not. And it wasn't. And you can see why he became such an incredible orator. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about the importance of this book. And it's important because it's a firsthand narrative. It is a brutal narrative. And it's honest. And it was written during a time when no one was willing to have an honest conversation about this. And uh, there are some people who didn't like that, to put it mildly. There are some people who weren't crazy about that. <laughs> so I do want to just praise the hell out of Amanda right now because I got obviously super sick. And Amanda like goes, do you want help with the outline? And I said, Yes, please. And I never asked for help. So that's how you know I'm sick. And Amanda yeah. literally went above and beyond and did like the entire outline. Champion. Thank you for that. Best. You were sick. And I was like, it was like Thursday and Tori's sick. And I'm like, 
I think she might need help. <laughs> and here's the thing, like, I hate asking for help. I never ask for help. I'll be bleeding and carrying laundry up the stairs, and I'm like, I'm fine. But I'm, like, laying in bed, and Amanda's like, do you want some help? And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm going to have to ask for fucking help. It's not like I'm doing anything. It's fine. Uh, but I did my best. I did my best. Uh, so what are we drinking today? Our only guide was no alcohol because Frederick Douglass was a strong advocate of temperance and thought that alcohol was used to uh, basically sedate African-Americans against their very, very uh, important and natural rage against their station in life. Which I had no knowledge of until you brought up. And I'm like, oh, so today yeah, it's water. Yeah, King. Uh, I have a cream soda, <laughs> which is one of my favorite sodas for the simple fact that it has 152% of your daily necessary sugar. Really? 152%. Now I'm like, how many do these cough drops have? Feels like mostly menthol. I love 10 calories a drop, but there's no listing of sugar. But yeah, so Frederick Douglass was really, really big on temperance. Like he fully believed that it was important to stay sober. And that will make sense with other things that we learn about him and his life. But um, he's a bit of an icon when it comes to uh, black alcohol recovery, is that he completely understood why black people would turn to alcohol to escape pain. He f fully understood that. But he also saw that that wasn't a way to get things done. So in a lot of addiction recovery for African-Americans, he's really lauded as this great example of, look, we fully understand why you're drinking. It's sh shit out there. But also, it's hard to make meaningful and impactful change when, you know, you're pantsless in a ditch somewhere. Yeah. So, sober episode for a very sombering story. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm a little grateful for it right now because I can barely sit up. So I, I would not any help. Yeah, I would not want you drinking today. Yeah. So cough drops are great though. Cough drops are amazing. Uh do you remember the time that I got uh super sick and I was taking I think it was the I think it was like the Advil uh cold medicine. It was the Aleve cold medicine. So I had taken it to work because you know it's capitalism. I have to work. It doesn't matter that I'm sick. So I'm just swigging at this bottle and I feel great. It's amazing. I feel cured. I'm laughing. I'm energetic. It's fantastic. That has 10% alcohol. <laughs> I was not cured. I was drunk. I think that's one of my favorite things is you realize that a lot of early medicine other than plant-based medicine was alcohol. You want to do some cocaine about it? Yeah, it was like, hey, this seems to make you feel a little bit better. Yeah. Oh, no, it shut down your liver. Oh, well. It's like, yeah, you have ghosts in your blood. Let's do a cocaine about it. <laughs> <sighs> uh, 
So there is no short story long. There is only long story long. Uh, and this book is chunky, uh, most likely to let both of the hosts suffer. Uh, so we will likely summarize these parts because it is not necessary to read every excruciating detail. Uh, Tori, did you want to kick things off? Sure. So this is one of those episodes where it's a little bit weird. And I think if we ever cover the diary of Anne Frank, it's going to be a little bit similar mm -hmm. where the person is telling you their entire story. Yes. So we do have some like facts and really cool stuff about Frederick Douglass and his wife mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. But he kind of just lays it all out for you. Yeah. So, like there's, there's no room for interpretation here. He said it. So in part one, he starts by explaining he doesn't know when he was born. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple different years that he could have been born. Um, as Amanda pointed out to me, and I didn't even realize this, he eventually adopted his birthday as February 14th, 1818. Yes, he did. His birthday's coming up. And yeah. So his mom died when he was seven. Uh, he has very few memories of her because kids were separated from their moms usually. Yes, so she was on a, um, a farm 12 miles from him. He was mostly raised by, I believe it was his grandmother, but in here it says um, she would his mom would still come for the, a very rare nighttime visit just to see him. Mm -hmm. um, he thinks his father is a white man, possibly the owner. Um, but at a very early age, he sees his aunt Hester being whipped. Um, and it's not for something major. It's like for a minor infraction. Right. And he details the cruel interaction that occurs between slaves and slaveholders mm -hmm. and how they're forced to behave a certain way in the presence of their masters, even when they know they're going to get their ass whipped. Mm -hmm. Um, he says it's that fear that keeps many slaves forced into servitude. Um, anytime they're, they tell the truth, they're punished by their owners. So that's terrifying. And it also kind of leads to this horrific trope that lasted for still going on mm -hmm. in some parts of the South where people are like, oh, but they were happy. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You just didn't want to get killed. I, if there was like, if I could go back in time and like fix one thing, it would either be the lost cause fallacy, the whole like, oh, we were fighting to protect our land. Like it was like the civil war was a state's rights issue thing or the myth of the happy Negro. If I could just like take a piece of that out of the American history because it's been so damaging, even unto this day. It is just awful. And if you think this shit doesn't still continue in American textbooks, when it I do. first moved to Texas, and I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, seven years ago, NPR was doing a story that the Texas like Department of Education had to approve this book that said Mexicans were traditionally lazy. Yep. I shit you not. I mean, that makes sense because we're still lying about the fact that we wanted to keep slaves, which is why we fought so hard for the Alamo. Yep. But at the risk of getting kicked out of the state, which at this point would be a blessing. Okay. <laughs> Part two. So at this point in the book, Douglas has moved to Baltimore. Yes. Um, it's important for him because he believes if he hadn't moved, he would have ended up a slave his entire life. 
Correct. He starts to get a little bit of hope for a better future. He also talks about Mrs. Sophia Ald, who is a woman that eventually turns very cruel. But in the beginning, she sees him really enjoy learning the alphabet. So she's like, you know what? He's so cute. Let me go ahead and teach him some letters. And she teaches him to spell some small words. So it's kind of like she treats him like a pet. And um, he's very excited because he's like, I can kind of read. Well, Mr. All does not approve. Uh, He says if slaves could read, they would not be fit to be slaves. And they would be unmanageable and sad. Correct. Bitch, they're already sad. Right. And I want to put a pin in there really, really fast. Uh, Back to the whole like myth of the happy Negro thing. When people are like, oh, well, you know, some slave masters taught their slaves to read. That wasn't done altruistically. No. Like, it truly was like, I know this is a reference that I've made a million times. It is like Django Unchained when Brunhilde can speak German. Like, it's to show off. Like, it has nothing to do with enriching her life or making her life easier. It has everything to do with, look at what the Black can do. It's horrifying, but the interesting thing is Frederick Douglass mentions that hearing why Mr. Ald disapproves of being taught to read, he realizes how important it is and that he needs to keep working on this skill. And so he takes it upon himself to learn how to read and learn all he can, but the skill kind of torments him. Um, He gets an understanding of the word abolition, develops the idea to run away to the North, and he learns how to write and how to read well, often by borrowing reading material from kids who lived on the plantation. Yes. So, um, part three, which Amanda has entitled everything is garbage and Amanda is not wrong. Um, <laughs> so trash. At 10 or 11, his master dies and mm-hmm. his property is divided between the master's son and daughter, which was incredibly common. Yeah. Um, they're valued along with livestock. Yes. Um, makes him hate slavery even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's He thinks he's lucky when he's being sent back to Baltimore to live with the family of this guy named Master Hugh. Um, he's moved through a few situations. He's sent to St. Michael's. He uh, regrets not trying to run away. But he makes this mental note that, you know, he's traveled in this northeastern direction. And that information is very important for the future. Yes. So he lives with Master Thomas Ald, who is particularly cruel, um, even after attending a Methodist camp. So this was something that he talks about in, in at the end of the book as well. Sorry, this is just like so aggravating about how all of these people would go through these Christian trainings. Yes. About the importance of love and compassion for your fellow man, and then come back and beat and rape their slaves. Yes. Uh, we will talk more about how religion was used to rationalize slavery because it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, it, because, end of sentence, it was. There's a lot of Christians that don't like that, and they get very defensive. It, it was. Deal with it. So he ends up getting lent out to Mr. Covey, who is fucking awful yes. um, for a year. This guy is known as a Negro breaker who will break the will of slaves. Like, this guy has a reputation 
for being the dick of the dicks, okay? Right. So we move on to part four, and I feel like this is one of the hardest parts to read because you're just like, holy shit. Um, as Amanda's entitled, things suck a little bit less, but not before things suck much more. Am I wrong? No, you're 100% accurate, which is why I read it, because it was hilarious. So when he's with Mr. Covey, Douglas is a field hand, and he has an especially hard time with the tasks required of him. Um, He's assigned things he's never done before um, with little to no training, and it doesn't matter if he doesn't know how to do it. If he doesn't do it, he's beaten. Right. He's worked to exhaustion. He is whipped on a weekly basis apparently due to his awkwardness um one day he's working he's worked so hard he collapses in the fields he is brutally beaten again by kobe and he eventually complains to thomas ald who sends him back to kobe like he manages to get away go back to his master and his master's like get the fuck back there um kobe attempts to tie up douglas but he fights back and after a two-hour-long fight, Douglas ultimately conquers Kobe. And after that, he's never beaten again. Um, he's not punished by the law. And this is more, we think, and according to what sounds like, um, Kobe really liked his reputation as Negro, Negro Breaker. And the last thing he wanted was to be found out that like somebody kicked his ass. That the Negro broke him? Yeah. Right. So when the one-year contract ends with Kobe, he's sent to live with William on William Friedland's plantation, which is hilarious. Freeland. Um, Douglas comments on the abuse suffered under Kobe, who's a religious man, and then the relative peace under the more secular Freeland. Um, he befriends other slaves, teaches them how to read. Um, he and a small group of slaves make a plan to escape, but before doing so, they're caught by and, and put in jail. And he's yes. put in jail. Um, he's released about a week later, and he's sent to Baltimore once more, where he, he's basically sent to learn a trade in a shipyard under Mr. Gardner. And he is disliked by several of the white appre- apprentices due to the, his status as a slave and his race, and he was also probably better at it than them. And at one point, he gets into a fight with them, and they nearly gouge out his left eye. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. So he goes to Master Hugh, who is kind regarding the situation, and he's like, you know what? I'm not sending you back to the shipyard. Probably because he thinks his property is going to get damaged more. Correct. I Let's... doubt that was true altruism, Sorry. but, you know, we yeah. appreciate it. Um, Hugh finds a lawyer, but they all refuse, saying that they're not going to do fight against a white person. Sophia Ald is the one who taught him to read, is now super cruel under the influence of slavery. She feels some pity for him and tends to the wounds of his left eye until it's healed. But again, you get the feeling that it's more, they don't want their property damaged permanently. Correct. At this point, Douglas is employed as a cocker. He receives wages, but he's forced to give every cent back to his master. He eventually finds his own job and plans the date in which he's going to escape to the North. He exceeds in reaching new Bedford, but he did not give details of how he gets out to protect those who help him to allow the possibilities for other slaves to escape. We now know how he escaped. We'll talk a little bit about it. Um, yes. If it was not for his wife, he would not have been freed. Correct. And his wife is a fucking badass. <laughs> anyway, yes. he ends up attending an anti-slavery convention and he becomes a well-known order and abolitionist. 
And again, he ends it with this poem about religion and about how all of these people who keep talking about how important Jesus is to them and how they have been saved aren't saving the people around them. Correct. And it is harsh as fuck, but accurate. That's honestly like the subtitle of this book is harsh as fuck, but accurate. And um, unfortunately, still very salient for African-Americans today. There's a lot of parts of this book that still really rang true. Like having to project this sort of, you know, happy facade, even though things are trash. That is something that happens to a lot of working African-Americans. That if we don't always seem very happy and chipper, they assume that you're angry. And when you're angry, you tend to have bad things happen to you. I mean, in the time I've known you, you have been let go of a job for complete bullshit reasons. I have. Um, and proven by the state that they were bullshit reasons. Yes. Um, you have had a lunch or dinner at Cracker Barrel and had some lady look you square in the face and put her dirty plates on your fucking table. Oh, yes, my Cracker Barrel colonization. Like... <laughs> It's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It is. Like, and. Okay. The white woman is exhausted. Like, the white woman is exhausted. Every day. Yeah. Like, it's bad. It's, it's bad. And, you know, the dissonance that African-Americans have to live with to not think about it that way which again is one of the reasons why i love douglas's stance on temperance so much is that out of everyone he fully gets why we would want to forget he fully understands why out of anyone we'd be the ones knee deep in a bottle trying to forget our circumstances like i really appreciate that so as amanda's noted in our outline we don't really have themes because this is the memoir. Yeah. Um, but there are some very important things to talk about. Did you want to start it off? Yes. Let's start it off with the fact that this is a slave narrative. It is one of the first slave narratives, but it's not the only slave narrative. And slave narratives are important because it leaves no room for conjecture about how bad slavery was. Now, some people did manage to find conjecture in it. Tori, do you want to talk about the guy who didn't think Douglas wrote it? Oh, damn it. Okay, so sorry for that, for those of you who are still very sensitive about that. I had to teach myself not to be. <laughs> so, this motherfucker, okay, comes forward and he's like, nah, this is too good. This yes. is too well written. A slave didn't write this. Yes. And people are like, but I mean, there's proof that he wrote this. I mean, it's pretty accurate. And he's like, no, no. This motherfucker didn't write it. He had somebody else write it. And it became this big thing where people were like, he couldn't have written it. And I'm like, bitch, it's more unlikely that Shakespeare wrote all of his plays than that Frederick Douglass didn't write this. Okay? Like... I just, and I love, and I love the idea of bashing Frederick Douglass 
like literally one of the most brilliant and charming men to ever exist, calling him unlearned and ordinary. Like out of all the people that you can bash, you're gonna bash Frederick Douglass. Like standing up there talking to people, wooing crowds with his words and just having everybody like hang on to it, getting right. involved in multiple causes because he's so good at being an orator. Right. Like he's people being genuinely like, brilliant. And this is just a bitch ass hater. <laughs> I just imagine this guy like scratching his crotch and be like, that man didn't say none of that shit. Like yeah. that's all I, I can just, think. And just, just a punk ass hater. <laughs> There's not another word for it. But you do still unfortunately see this shit all the time yes. um, with writers of color, with yes. women. Yes. Oh my god, the amount of times somebody's been like, well, a woman couldn't have written that. The sex yeah. is too accurate. And you're like, we have genitals too! We also experience sex, apparently very differently, but we also experience it. Uh, and you would see this with further writings by African-Americans that people would say, oh, well, a white person had to write this. There's no way that they can write this. I thought that the slaves were happy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's important to have slave narratives written by those that were formerly enslaved because it does something that to this day we struggle with, which is not throwing a softball at slavery. Slavery was bad. It was bad. It was worse than you could ever think it was. Whatever you think it was, it was worse. Between the sexual abuse, between the physical abuse, the fact that we were not, African Americans are not legal citizens of the United States until 1865, which was not that long ago. Like, it was worse. It was worse than you think. And it didn't end. We still have modern day slavery. It's called the for-profit prison system. <laughs> but even white abolitionists who were writing at that time, because you get things like Uncle Tom's Cabin and stuff, they're the ones that are usually perpetuating a lot of these myths, this happy Negro stuff, that slavery is not great, but it's not bad. A lot of abolitionists were just in it basically kind of like a Coney 2012 thing. Like they just wanted to say that they were abolitionist. Oh my God. I haven't thought about Coney 2012 since 2012. <laughs> like they just wanted to say, Oh yeah, we're abolitionists, but like could not tell you Jack or shit about what it meant to be an abolitionist. Cause it was kind of like in vogue a little bit to say like, Oh, I'm a part of this, but like did not do any of the actual hard work. So slave narratives were important to set the precedence of, no, this is bad. And you get that because it's written by people who are affected by it. It also makes it really, really hard to read in modern terms uh, because it is bad and it's graphic and it's hard to sugarcoat as a teacher when you have stories of little Frederick Douglass watching people be whipped violently and brutally. Like it's hard to draw a lesson plan around that. It's also why critical race theory and the AP uh, Black American History curriculum in Florida is so considered to be such a threat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's 
and Douglas talks about this, a lot of other black scholars have talked about this, that education was the most dangerous thing to happen to most African-Americans. Because when you learn that it doesn't have to be like this, when you can read that it shouldn't be like this, when you have the logical tools to understand that this is incorrect, then you start questioning the system. That's why no one wanted the slaves to read. Because they really liked using the Bible and saying, hey, look at this Bible. It says you should be slaves. But then the slaves learned how to read the Bible. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? There was a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Slave narratives are super important. There, there are more. Many of them are hard to read. All of them are hard to read. Uh, but it's important to get this unflinching view of slavery. Uh, also, slavery is bad. It's bad. Yeah. It's end of it's story. Bad. Yeah, end of story. Um, I talked about the lost cause fallacy, the idea that, you know, oh, the South was just fighting for states' rights and dependence and stuff. It was the states' rights to own slaves. The Civil War was always about slavery. Anyone who says it's economics or states' rights, it's no. There is an amazing book called The Zealot and the Emancipator. Yes. And it's about Lincoln and it's about John Brown. And when you it gives you a lot of historical background mm -hmm. as to why the three-fifths compromise was so important what it actually meant oh that's three-fifths of a person um why new territories were going hey i don't think we want slavery and then a bunch of people would rush in and fight with guns and say mm -hmm. this is a slave state this happened all the time. Mm -hmm. This is why James or why um, John Brown was radicalized. Not James Brown. That would be a whole other story. Um, but <laughs> a very interesting story that I would love to read. But like, this wasn't just some guy waking up one morning and going, you know what? I think I'm going to take over Harper's Ferry. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, this sounds like a chill, fun thing to do. This no. is a great way to spend a weekend. Like, no. We're going to talk about John Brown because he is honestly one of my favorite historical figures. <laughs> because of course he is. But slavery was bad. It was bad. And, you know, I've read a lot of books about slavery as a child because my parents were those parents. And I, there's a part of me that really appreciates it now as an adult. I know my history. But also when you're young, it just washes over you. So a lot of American textbooks will also do this where they sort of like overshow you like photos of lynching and photos of people being whipped and beaten to the point that your brain is so young that you just can't process it. So it just sort of washes over you. We've all seen like the same five photos of African-Americans that have been whipped and beaten and brutalized and murdered. And because it's taught that way, it's just a thing. We think that it was so far in the past, it's over and gone and it doesn't matter. So 
I'm always a little bit conflicted about this stuff because yeah, like I read this stuff super, super young when I was a kid. Um, but because I did that, a lot of that stuff was just so far over my head that it was just like, whoop, you know, you do enough to satisfy your parents and then you move on to whatever I was playing as a child. I don't know, <laughs> whatever the fuck I was doing as a weird kid. But going back and reading it now as an adult, where I have a lot more empathy and a lot more understanding, and I have the historical awareness and the contemporary knowledge that things are not necessarily better. Does this stuff affect me in much different ways? I.e. every time I get upset about George Stinney. Just every single time. Huh. <sighs> All right. The Bible as rationalization for slavery. So, can I tell the story of Ham and how it's bullshit? Yes. So, Noah, right? Mm -hmm. Noah's got his kids. He's got his yeah. wife. He's got his kids' wives. Yes. They're all on this fucking boat, supposedly. Yes. Um, every major pantheon has a flood myth, just in case anyone was wondering. Um... They're on this boat, right? Yep. It's going fast, and he's got his nautical theme Pashmina app. I'm sorry, I had to do it. Um, <laughs> Ham walks into his dad's tent to be like, tell him something, and his dad is lit as fuck. His dad is super drunk, and everything is hanging out. He's got not a stitch of clothing on, and Ham's like, fuck, oh, fuck. Leaves the tent, tells his brothers. His brother's back in with a cloth and wrap it around their dad so they don't see him naked. Ham <laughs> is cursed for seeing his father and therefore is more apt to be a slave because he must be controlled. Now, there's some scholars who go, well, it's because he walked out and he was making fun of his dad. Have y'all ever walked you in on your parents naked? You're cursed enough, okay? Right, like, as you should. Like, if, if you're you just you saw your dad naked like that. Into slavery, you've already seen your dad's flute, okay? Like, nobody needs additional punishment. Right, that's punishment enough. You're good. Your brothers had warning, so they were able to back in. God. <laughs> but the descendants of Ham were considered to be cursed and were considered to be under um, the control of others. Yes. Um, once the, they all got to repopulate the planet. Um, and unfortunately, you see this narrative again in almost every major pantheon, in every major collection of stories, of there being yes. a wealthy class, a middle class, and a poor class. Yes. Now, those are called different things, um, but it is always a justification for why there is a like stratification of the classes. Yes always an over justification and it's usually from the top i could tell you all about the norse one but we don't have time for all that sex we could talk a lot about about the caste system in india but we don't have time for that we'll be sad uh but the bible was used constantly to rationalize slavery whether it was that the slaves were descendants of ham whether it was this whole colonial myth that the Christians were bringing pants and Christianity to the pagan Africans. 
the Bible was used as so much rationale. And again, as we mentioned earlier, what was important was that the black people didn't actually read the Bible because once they did, they found all these stories about slaves being freed and the importance of not judging other people in doing unto others what you'd like done unto yourself. And then they're just left holding these Bibles. Like, what the fuck are you guys doing? It's one of the reasons why if you go to a black church versus a white church, the sermons are very different. The sermons are so different. And it's also why a lot of, you know, the old Negro spirituals are so rooted in religion. It's because they sought a lot of comfort once they could understand the Bible and learned that it wasn't this tool of oppression, or at least it shouldn't be. It's also why a lot of modern African-Americans have turned away from the colonial influence of modern Christianity. You'll also see a lot of aspects of the control um, mm -hmm. in the Bible used against women. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most famous verses is about, you know, you know, woman should be controlled by her husband. Like this whole thing of like, like how he is supposed to be the one that leads. Read, read the verse right after it. Read the verse right after it because it basically goes, yeah, and the guy should be willing to lay down his life for his wife. I this feel like it's 80% of the Bible, honestly, is like people pointing out one thing out of context, but then it's like, okay, but like read down one more. My favorite was that evidently this uh they say it was done by a computer but these different quotes were pulled from the bible different verses mm -hmm. and one of them was blatantly about satan or about the adversary because the way we view satan doesn't exist in the bible no. um and it was so funny because it was presented as like this very happy quote and i'm sitting there going Oh my god, no, 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 no. And they ended up, I think, I believe they ended up like trying to like justify it away. Like, oh, it's just a page a day calendar. But like know what you're reading. <coughs> yes, that is important. But yeah, it's amazing to see it happening now where a lot of African Americans have turned away from modern Christianity because I don't think any of us like talking about the colonial influence that was Roman Catholicism. I think out of all the things Catholics don't like talking about, it's that. Because Catholics don't like talking about a lot of shit. There's a lot of things that we are very uncomfortable talking about. But colonialism seems to be the one that we like talking about the absolute least. There is one other one, but you have asked that I not bring it up on the show. Is it the sex stuff? Yes. Oh, well, yeah, obviously. I was going to say that, too. It's <laughs> Yes, I was going to say that, too. And that one little girl who's buried under the Vatican. They don't like talking about her, either. Oh, the one that they have the Vatican girl special on on Netflix? Yeah. There's a little girl buried under the Vatican. Uh, her dad used to work for the Vatican. And then he had some documents that he shouldn't have had. And then his daughter ended up dying mysteriously. And she's buried under the Vatican. And no one talks about it. Did you guys know that the Vatican totally laundered money for criminals? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Do you like, know that Vatican this was probably not the first time if you've read the book Bad Popes? Right, like... <laughs> 
the Vatican is not. There was a pope that had um, an event called the Joust of Whores where he scattered walnuts onto the floor of St. Peter's Basilica and had naked women slither on the ground and pick up walnuts with their labia. Like that happened. We were talking about that on the tour. Right, like that's, that's not discussed anywhere. <laughs> oh my God, can you see me going there with my head covered dress down to my ankles? Can you tell us about the joust of whores? Yeah, can we talk about the joust of whores, please? Can I would be respectful, one... but I want to know. Right. Can we talk about that one pope whose ass was so destroyed from like perpetual anal sex that he had to take his vows on his stomach? Can we talk about that pope? <laughs> he could not take his vows seated. He had to be carried in and placed on his stomach. That's a lot, bro. That's a lot. He was a pope. He was a whole ass pope. Pun not intended with the ass part. <laughs> but like, that legacy of colonialism is hard to deal with. I mean, the legacy of colonialism is hard to deal with anything. But that Christian Catholic legacy of colonialism is hard. And the Bible has been used to rationalize the subjugation of many people. Uh, there are some excellent uh, documentaries and sources about why they chose sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, we don't have time to talk about any of those because I will just start crying and be very, very sad. We will link more resources uh, in show notes because there are some great stories about why they chose Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, there are some great um, pieces of information about what made the slave trade so bad. Um, we're also not here to talk about how it was worse in the Caribbean and not as bad in America because while you're right, you're also wrong. <laughs> because I see that used a lot to like discredit how bad slavery was in America. Like, oh, it was much, much worse on the sugar plantations. Yeah, but that doesn't make it okay that it happened. You are correct. It was much, much worse on sugar plantations. Those people had a much worse quality of life, were much more likely to die or be dismembered. Absolutely, it was worse. That doesn't make it any better what was happening on cotton plantations in the South. That's no. Um, yeah. So those are our important major themes. Uh, are we missing some? Probably. But one of your hosts is Black and is exhausted. All right. So we've got some interesting facts about the book and Frederick Douglass. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to take over this part? Uh, or do you want to? I trust we'll you. Okay. So Amanda's amazing. Went through, put in a lot of really cool facts. I went and added some stuff this morning because I do my homework late when I'm sick. Um, so the book was published May 1st, 1845. And within four months of publication, 5,000 copies were sold. But by 1860, almost 30,000 copies were sold. That's, that's very that's, impressive. That's gangbusters on Kindle Unlimited, okay? Yeah, um, that's phenomenal. So 
became a bestseller, but he had to live in Europe for two years so he didn't get brought back in as a slave. Yes. He uh, eventually bought his freedom. Like, how fucked off is that? You become a bestseller? And they're yes. like, hey, maybe you can't come back into this country. I mean, the only other person that I can think of that went through something very similar was maybe Salman Rushdie with a fatwa. You just want to talk about Salman I do, man. I think he just got a talk about. You just okay. want to talk about Salman Rushdie. I do want to apologize if I start crying because it is not a white tear thing. It's an emotional compromise thing. Because Anna Marie yes. is Anna Marie Douglas is like the most badass bitch. Um, yes, she she gets missed out and mentions a lot. Um, and part of that is because Frederick Douglass was very protective of her, but also yes. because she helped him escape slavery. Yes. Um, but as they are both deceased, um, it is now safe to talk about it. Um, she was a free woman of color. She was the first woman in her family to be born free. And she is one of the major inspirations for Frederick Douglass to leave slavery. Um, she helped finance him and support him and their family until he became a successful order and writer because it was very dangerous for him to work at the docks in Massachusetts or um, do a lot of the day labor and stuff like that work where he could have been caught and brought back. Um, mm -hmm. She was a radical supporter of the rights of women, which is phenomenal. She was mm -hmm. um, one of the first people when she was talking to Frederick Douglass, when they were falling in love with each other, she said, I don't think you were intended to be a slave for life. Um, and that evidently really hit him. She said, I don't want the father of our children to be in slavery when they're born. And it was mm -hmm. like, damn. Um, so she ended up selling a bunch of her personal belongings to finance his escape. Um, she got him a sailor's uniform and they got onto this boat when he was about 20 and um, they get on the ship. She's a free woman of color. The guy goes, the guy who's getting them on the ship goes, where's your papers? And she's like, I'm free. I don't usually carry my papers with me and right. has the most perfect attitude. And he looks at Frederick and he's like, well, where's your papers? And he's like, I'm a sailor. I don't usually carry my papers with me. Like, same vibe. The guy just kind of gives up and goes, whatever, get on the ship. And they are terrified until they get safely to shore. Um, but it was one of those things where it was like, we have to kind of hide that because other people were starting to use methods like that. Um, she ended up being, a, um, you know, one of those people who still helped the um, Underground Railroad. She helped slaves escape. Yeah, she's very big on education for women, very big on, she supported the hell out of her husband, but she made sure that, you know, other people knew that black women were important too. And unfortunately, yeah. it ends up becoming a footnote in a lot of the, um, a lot of textbooks and things like that, if she's mentioned at all. Right. And I do think it's important to mention uh, the role of black, Black women. I think, you know, a lot of people tend to think that, oh, it's very, very egalitarian because, you know, we talk about Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth. And it's like, okay, you talk about like those two. Uh, the role of Black women in this whole thing was immeasurable and so important. So, yeah, it is disappointing that she ends up being this kind of, you know, footnote under, you know, the glowing accomplishment that is Frederick Douglass. But she's just as important, matters just as much. Um, his second wife tends to also disappear into the background a little bit. Yes. Uh, but 
I don't know how much of that is just misogynoir or just the all-encompassing blinding light of being married to Frederick Douglass. Like, I don't know where one ends and one begins. Because it's both. It is both misogynoir and... But I don't know where one is and the other one is. And we're not saying, like, Frederick Douglass was, like, pushing his wife out of the spotlight on purpose. No, just not at all. anybody his wives. Like, none of them. We're not saying that at all. No. Um, history tends to do that with women. Um, which we'll actually talk about it with our next book as well. <laughs> we will. We will. And I'll get uh, really mad and it'll be super funny. Yeah. Uh, so as we mentioned earlier, Frederick Douglass wrote and spoke about temperance and, aboli- and abolishing slavery, both in the United States and abroad. In the years after he escaped slavery in 1846, he addressed audiences at the World Temperance Convention in London and at a pro-temperance and anti-slavery gathering in Paisley, Scotland. What kind of party is a is the World Temperance Convention? I mean, it's not one with alcohol. <laughs> but if he's in Scotland, he's got music and dancing. So this is true. This is true. I just I love the idea of the World Temperance Convention. Especially <laughs> being held in the UK. Right, like, out of all the places to hold the World Temperance Convention, we're going to do it in the UK. I loved when I, I may have told this story on the podcast before, I was getting a temporary phone when I was living in Scotland. And mm-hmm. I walked in and I'm talking to the girl and she's like, oh, you guys are here for school. We're like, yeah, we were a couple of us. And she, we're talking about drinking or whatever. And I go, is it true that Scottish people really do like to party or is that just like a myth? She goes, we lead the world in liver transplants, you tell me. (laughs) Completely deadpan. And that is one of the things I love about the Scots is they will tell you the most fucked off thing with a straight face and expect you to know that it's a joke. And I love it. I miss that so much. I love that so much. Uh, as we mentioned before, Douglas has met the absolute badass John Brown multiple times. Uh, they consider themselves to be quite a hoot. If you don't know who John Brown is, John Brown is the crazy white man who was decided that he was going to be so abolitionist that he was going to wage like actual war against slavery. He was a part of several very violent rebellions. Guns of fucking blazing. He was a mad lad, leading to one of the favorite stickers that I've ever seen, which is I refuse to cop I refuse to have a discussion with someone John Brown would have shot. <laughs> I will no longer have discussions with people that John Brown would have shot. <laughs> yeah. Which is That's phenomenal. Uh, there's some great pictures of john brown looking absolutely crazy that was a he was insane but phenomenal the hair just grizzled and insane oh he was like a contender for sasquatch right like he was just whatever you think about john brown it's probably crazier than you think i think he's what people assume andrew jackson is 
outside of being a horrible racist and a sad man. I, okay. I don't love Andrew Jackson, but I still I, think it's fucking hilarious. They're like, Paris. war is over. We're still fighting in New Orleans. Don't tell anybody. Uh, the and only good thing that Andrew Jackson ever did was have a parrot that was so foul in language that it had to be escorted out of his funeral service. So beautiful. It was the only good thing Andrew Jackson did. Do not ask why I know these things. Ah, Douglas wrote a letter to his former slave owner talking mad shit. And he is a king for that. I love that he did that. I just, the balls. Just the balls. And like, then this isn't like a hyperbolic scenario where it's like, oh, I wrote a letter to like one of my old bosses or something. This is the person who enslaved him. And he wrote a letter saying you ain't shit. It's brilliant. It's, he's brilliant. Frederick, thank you. I want that to be the, an epic rap battle of history. So there is an uh, there is an epic rap battle of history. It's Frederick Douglass versus Thomas Jefferson. Oh, God. And it's very good. It is very good. Jefferson loses spectacularly. It Am I putting that in the show notes? Yes, you are. It is phenomenal. I almost did. I think I just forgot. Um, Douglas traveled across Ireland and Great Britain for a while, and he mostly loved it, except for the intense disparity between the rich and poor. I love that that's the thing that upset him. Huh. It's almost like that's still a major thing with people it's being unable like, to leave their homes. Yeah, it's almost like that's still a problem. And it because, yeah, he was like, because everyone always asks him, like, they ask every African-American who leaves the country, because I get asked that all the time when I'm not in America. I was like, what is so different about, you know, America and us? And it's like, yeah, there's a lot different, but there's also a lot that's the same. But, yeah, so people would ask him, it's like, what, you know, what do you think about the UK? And he's like, it's pretty chill, except for the fact that, like, your poor people are really, really poor. And there are these little castles over there. Which, mood. Relatable. So you have a oh really good God. point about how he considered photography. Yes. Okay. So, Douglas considered photography to be very important in ending slavery and racism because the camera would not lie even in the hands of a racist white person as photographs were an excellent counter to many racist characters. In caricatures, including minstrel imagery. Again, we're talking about the happy Negro. We're talking about white people in blackface that made slavery sound like it was a fun summer camp. So he really loved photography because even in the hands of a slave owner, that photograph doesn't lie. It's still showing the same horrible thing. And in a lot of ways, he was right. Um, I look at the modern atrocities that we've had with unarmed African-American men and women um, and the importance of cell phone cameras and body cam images, that a lot of this stuff was not believed until we started being able to record and document. Because that's the thing that I think no one likes talking about is police brutality didn't start 
like 10 years ago. Ooh. It has been happening since the police were formed because that's why they exist. Is to police African Americans. That's literally the whole thing. And that's why we say ACAB. Um, but it helped because now there's undeniable proof of the thing that black people have been saying since ever. It's now the whole world can see. And you have to come to terms with that, which is why it's so frustrating when people still don't seem to get the point. There's an amazing book that just came out. It's technically designed for YA, but it is, I really think a lot of people should read it. It's from the law analyst for ABC News. Um, Mm -hmm. It's called Come Home Safe. And it is about a black family, a little boy who's like a freshman in high school, his little Mm -hmm. sister who's in middle school. And they both encounter horrific racism um, through the police in New York. And Mm -hmm. it is a work of fiction, but it is based on true stories. Mm -hmm. And um, the book is very big about, you know, like, this is how you have to interact with a police officer. This is how you have to show yourself. This is, if you're recording, make sure you're doing it respectfully from this distance away. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're with a friend, have them record safely. Like Mm -hmm. all of this stuff that just, it is so heartbreaking because it's accurate and it's conversations my friends have with their kids um, on a regular basis of, I know this is going to hurt your feelings that you're being falsely accused of something, but you need to just lay down and take it like horrific things where it's just like, we just want you to come home safe. And it's conversations that I had growing up, you know, my aunts were always very transparent about the fact that regardless of how much we integrated into white society, if it was me and a group of white friends and one of them had drugs, I was likely going down for said drugs. (laughs) That wasn't understood. Um, But yeah, also love this is that Frederick Douglass uh, was the most photographed person in the 19th century. And he consciously used photography to advance his political views. He never smiled specifically. So he didn't play into the racist caricature of the happy slave. He tended to look directly into the camera and confront viewers with a stern look. And he is a king. And seriously, every picture. Every picture of Frederick Douglass, he is looking at you and he is angry. And but it feels earned because it's earned. It's earned. <laughs> there's, you know, there are some people who might not deserve it. He deserves it. But all of his photos are like that, and it's amazing that he was so widely photographed. Because again, I think people assume that this stuff all happened a long time ago. But this is all. Oh, it's I forever mean, we ago. do that with the civil rights era as well, where it's like. The pictures are in black and white on purpose, folks. This is true. We have color photos of like MLK and stuff because it happened in the fucking 60s. Like we we have evidence. Like we this didn't happen eons ago. Your but family yeah, were definitely. going to pennies to get those really weird colored pictures taken, okay? Okay. My family has a bunch of those with me as a kid. And there's one where I have a bow on that is like the size of my head. I believe this. I saw it's that picture pink. of you as a child in a pageant. 
You like Pageant Amanda? Pageant Amanda was slightly terrifying. Pageant Amanda also, was a soul creature. But also, I knew that that demon was going to get what it wanted. Yeah. <laughs> That's not false. That is not false. There are no lies detected in that sentence. Pageant Amanda was a soulless gribbling. That was definitely getting her Starbucks after it. What if she wanted McDonald's after? She was getting that Happy Meal. She deserves that Happy Meal. She worked hard for that Happy Meal. She strutted in those little kid boots for hours. Pageant Amanda strutted that runway. She earned. Oh, adult Amanda could run. So adult Amanda could have an asthma attack and wear flats. Yeah, well, I think we're all in that boat right now. So, so adult Amanda can wear Skechers airwalks and not want to be perceived by humanity. <laughs> See, the funny thing is, I went from high school, like, I'm wearing my Doc Martens, to I have to wear normal shoes and be a normal kid. And then I reached 37 and went, you know what? Fuck it, I'm wearing Docs again. Yeah. I never stopped wearing Converse. I was one of those gays. I can see that. <laughs> Not in a bad way. Because it's, it's accurate. I was a Converse gay. I put on a pair of Converse like at 15. I never stopped. I mean, my kid is also a Converse gay. So, woo! Uh, let's see. Douglas fought for many causes including suffrage for African-Americans and women and for equality post the hot, hot mess that was Reconstruction. Yeah. Reconstruction was garbage. End of sentence. <laughs> and Douglas really was a pioneer in trying to find and make sense out of the post out of the post civil war world because here's the thing with the emancipation proclamation and you see that with the holiday that is juneteenth just because it was said doesn't mean that anyone did anything exactly just because there was an emancipation proclamation doesn't mean that anyone did jack or shit it's just, it blows my mind. These folks roll up on Galveston and they're like, wait, why aren't your slaves free? And they're like, well, what now? Well, but also, like, there was this, like, really, really interesting tension with a lot of the slaves in, like, central Texas. So my dad's family is from Crockett. And they're a huge place that celebrates Juneteenth because it is nothing but farmland that was once owned by white people. So... There was a lot of tension in that like central North Texas part where they had letters coming in from relatives saying, oh, we're free. And then going to their slave masters being like, excuse me, they're saying they're free. And it's like, no, you guys aren't free. And then just like slowly, like menacingly sharpening farm equipment. It's like, but our cousins keep saying that they're free. And you keep saying we're not free. So what's going on here? Right. What's going on? Yeah, my dad's family is from Crockett. It is a desert wasteland full of pe black people who have been there since the, since slavery, basically. 
but it is a very charming downtown that has exactly one Chinese restaurant. Does Lano still have a Chinese restaurant? I don't know. I don't know. It's a long story. It's um, a long story. I think Lano was only allowed to have three non-fast food restaurants at any point in time. There was. It's in the charter. Yeah. Like one goes down, another can open. Anyway. Um, so... I also love that he was the first black man nominated for vice president on, on the actual ballot. Yes, he was. Uh, we don't have time to talk about how brilliant Frederick Douglass was in every aspect of his life. Because he you, was. You were saying that, like, literally just take a segment of his life, you can make a lifetime, well, not a lifetime movie. You can make like, a movie about it. Any aspect of his life, you could turn into, like, several fascinating movies. Like the Freedmen's Trust, you could do something with that. Uh, you could do something about his time in the UK and in Ireland and in Scotland. You could do so many separate stories. Um, there is one note in here that is important, is that he did reconcile with his uh, former slave master in 1877. And a lot of people really didn't like that. I don't have opinions on it because I can kind of see both sides. I can see the importance of needing to put something like that to bed, but also fuck it. Do you, do you personally think he did it for closure? I mean, I, I can only ascribe so much because I wasn't there. I can imagine I would want some kind of clue. Cause we like, we have that daily with like trauma, like, as someone who suffers with trauma, we want some kind of closure, even if the closure is super unsatisfying. So I can imagine if you have something that traumatized you that much, you would want to seek out some kind of closure in that. Do I think reconciliation is the way to go? I don't, but I'm also a spiteful gremlin who lives with hate in her heart. I'm not mature. <laughs> I'm not mature enough for that. I'm not. I See, acknowledge that. You took on the form of a gremlin. Like, I can only picture you as Stolas with the awkwardly long owl legs and yes. like the glasses. Yes. And I mean, this is the highest compliment. Like, literally, just like, it's like, do you want to forgive those who wronged you? No. <laughs> then goes back to reading. Like, no, I, I, I don't have the emotional or mental capacity for that. Now, mental illness has made it necessary for me to forgive those that is wrong people because you can only stay mad at your dead mom for so long. She's, she's dead. She ain't getting any deader. You can't stay mad. But I understand both sides of thinking that it's a bad move reconciling with a slave owner because he was still a slave owner and was trash. I also understand the need to close that chapter of your life and find some understanding and humanity in someone who wronged you. I get it. But yeah, I, th I mean, I, again, a king, because I can't imagine doing that. Oh my god. On February 20th, 1895, Douglas 
attended a meeting at the National Council of Women in Washington, D.C. During that meeting, he was brought to the platform and received a standing ovation. Shortly after he returned home, Douglas died of a massive heart attack. So, Which, I mean, when you are carrying the literal weight of humanity on your shoulders, makes some sense. Correct. But also, like, can we talk about a long life? Like, a long life through some amazing times to be able to see so many aspects of human history. Like, to see... Oh my god, like, to see the Civil War go through, to survive all of this stuff. He died when he was 78. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's fantastic. You know we're going through that right now, too, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Man, I sure am tired of, of living through life-changing <laughs> joking earlier today i go as a millennial do you like flinch every time somebody says once in a lifetime event or um yes. unprecedented times should i just stop saving for retirement are we going to be dead like i just yeah i don't <laughs> there's a line from nona the ninth which is expect the worst, ignore the best. And it is so good. Tamsin Muir's, I know, doesn't listen to our podcast. But that bitch got a grip on me right now. I mean, also, like, just living with anxiety. Oh, yeah. That's, that's such a mood. That is such a mood. Uh, so that is the story of Frederick Douglass. He wrote many more books uh, that, of course, I think that you should read, including one of my favorites, which is uh, his speech about what 4th of July means to a slave. If you haven't read that, I highly encourage reading it. Also, because Amanda made me cry, we're going to make you cry. We're going to put a link to Chadwick Boseman reading the narrative of life of Frederick Douglass. And it's brilliant and so sad. And I hate that I was one of those people that was like, why does Chadwick Boseman always look tired? It's like, bitch, he was dying. Yeah. Oh, Chadwick Boseman. But we do have other resources, including Almighty Wikipedia. Um, there is a Crash Course Black American History episode on Frederick Douglass that is very, very good. I think Crash Course Black American History is done. So go ahead and just watch all of it. It is very, like, it's very good. I think it's one of my favorite Crash Courses because um, it does a great job of balancing, like, this was horrible. But, like, I don't want to say it doesn't make you feel guilty, but it it like it's like it makes you feel more empowered to do better. Cause a lot of this stuff, like especially, and I've read I've read about this and I've heard about this from other black people, it just like makes you feel bad for living in a time that isn't slavery. Like you are somehow you and your problems are somehow lesser because you didn't deal with that stuff. Survivor's guilt? Almost. Um, a lot of it's just poor writing and thinking again that like that stuff is over. And like, you guys got your freedom, you're done. Black History Month, Women's History Month, basically any 
time that we have separated out a month um, tends to be lean more towards the trauma of the history. Yeah. Um, and there's very little hope. Um, but yes. Crash Course did a really good job of being like, here's the facts. Here's how it went down. Yeah. Um, don't go kill yourself. Yes. And um, I think a lot of that's just down to the host. He's brilliant. Oh, he's um, he does talk about like, hey, here are some black people just doing really cool shit, which is amazing. Because, yeah, we don't get that. Like all black writers struggle with that. Because if you write a black story that's all suffering, it's trauma porn. If you write a black story where everything is fine, you're ignoring the trauma. You can't win. Something that a lot of American novels suffer from um, yes. is this trauma porn. Yes. <laughs> it's why a lot of women are sick of the rape trope. We don't yeah. need a woman to be raped to make her a superhero. Please stop doing that. There's yeah. why. Yeah, it's not necessary as a Phoenix moment. Like, it's it's just not. It's not. Um, but yeah, that happens a lot with a lot of African-American like fiction and stuff where it's like, if you just write a story about like a black woman being chill and doing fine, people don't like it because it's like, oh, well, she's not talking about racism, but if she does, then it's tokenism. My favorite example of that is Riri Williams, a character created by Michael Bendis, who also created Miles Morales. And uh, everyone hated her. Everyone hated Riri. No one liked her because she was just smart, brilliant, and was Iron Man. And no so question. So much fun. And in so much fun. But everyone hated her. Everyone. No one liked her. And the most ver and the version that everyone likes is the version that you get in Wakanda Forever because it is completely sanitized. Yeah. So everyone loves this version because she didn't do shit. I'm I'm a Riri Stan. Uh, so I've cosplayed Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I cosplayed Tony Stark a bunch of times because of course I have. And one of my friends actually didn't know who Riri was. She just saw a statue of a black lady dressed as Iron Man. And she's like, who made a statue of you? And it's like, I love you more than anything. I am not that famous. This is Riri. You're going to love her as well. <laughs> you know what's great? You have this beautiful, wonderful icon that you can look at. Mine is Squirrel Girl. So what does that tell you? <laughs> oh my god, it's amazing. Uh, so we definitely have some resources for you. Tori, you did not have to read this until recently. Right. I'm a little, I like, shocked. I don't mean it, like, harshly, but just, like, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised, too. Honestly, I think I avoided it because it one wasn't required in a school setting for me. Mm -hmm. And two, because I was like, I don't know if I can handle somebody talking about slavery. That's fair. And that's fair. It was good and it was necessary. And I am yes. happy to have read it, which half the time we read a book on this thing that I haven't read before. And I'm like, dear God, Amanda, Why? This time was not that case. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it is important. 
and I'm glad that you read it. I've had to read it multiple times again because my parents were those parents who were like, you're going to know your history. And I'm like seven years old reading books about Malcolm X and like completely unable to process it. Just completely like, I don't know what the fuck any of this means, mom. I don't know what's going on. Why do you keep making me read this shit? <sighs> because in hindsight, my dad was a little bit of a hotep, which is a specific uh, stereotype of black men who like are super, super, super into like almost like an African nationalism. Like they're the guys that are really, really excited to talk about like the Moors and the Nubian kings of Egypt and have this like almost overcompensating view of what Africans did and the importance of Africans to compensate for how bad it has been to be African-American. So we call those hoteps, especially if you're trying to date one. They're the ones that have renamed themselves and have decided that everything is about the, the Moors. Everything is about the Moors or the Nubian kings of Kush, which is a real thing. So in hindsight, dad was kind of like that, where he's like, you're going to read about Malcolm X and not MLK because MLK was a pansy. <laughs> it's like, okay. Damn. Okay, father. Your dad was hardcore. Dad was, you, my dad was the weirdest man. I was going through my dad's stuff because he died years ago. And in his stuff, there was a repl there was a replica of the Mayan calendar and a bunch of runes. I can't just ask him what the fuck. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> Be happy you found that and not his porn collection. I didn't, but I found my mom's. Okay, that's also hard. Yes. It's like, I didn't find dads, but I did find my moms. Uh, so Tori, do you want to tell uh, the fine audience at home what we're reading next? Because we're doing both. We're celebrating Valentine's Day and Black History Month, because why not? And we're reading a very, very romantic book. Very rom Sure. Our next book is Dr. Zhivago by Boris I abandoned my lover, Laura, to the KGB, Pasternak. I gave Amanda choices. You did. I think you picked this one just because you knew I was going to rant about Boris Pasternak for, like, I did. a whole episode. I did. I'm very excited. Also, I don't think I've read this one. I've seen the movie, but I haven't read it. I've actually so. never seen the movie. Kaha. I do so, remember yeah. going to the Wax Museum, the Movie Land Wax Museum in Buena Park, California, when I was probably like 16. And they still had a Dr. Zhivago set, like with the sleigh and stuff. No idea what the hell that was. They went out of business and some of their stuff got sold. But the only thing I really remember about them was they had a horror area and I was terrified to go in it. And then they just had this beautiful Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera piece, this beautiful 
Dracula piece. I mean, just these sets that were gorgeous. Their creature from the Black Lagoon literally was swimming through a pond. <laughs> and then you walked around a corner and there was this like fake wax body um, breathing for a wax museum with um, Vincent Price. Mm -hmm. They had a Jekyll and Hyde kind of reveal. Um, but the most fucked up one was if you stepped on this, well, no, there's two actually. They had pressure boards and the last two, one of them you'd step down and you'd hear the, <laughs> as the oh, curtain comes like back. Oh, and no. it was like, nope, no, thank you. I don't like that. Um, at all. The other one was as soon as you turned around and stepped down, it was Reagan from The Exorcist with her head spinning around. I don't know why my brain cut off and just assumed Ronald Reagan, which is truly more terrifying. <laughs> I was like, oh God, that is scary. I feel like I sent you a sound bite of that on TikTok recently. Maybe today it was. I think you did. I was like, oh, that is worse. Oh. Like, okay, Tori, I have unfortunately confirmed that the only medieval times dinner and tournament is back home in Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh, I know there's one in Buena Park, California, but we're oh, not. Oh, yeah, the much Park. closer, the much closer California. Uh, um, I told Tori that I wanted to go to Medieval Times for my birthday, uh, but the only one in the fucking state is 300 miles away. <laughs> the real question is, how hard are the nights and can we hit on them? Yes and yes. They're also trying to form a union for better pay and better safety equipment. I mean, they deserve it. They do. They, they do. I'm fully in support of their union for better pay. There's also diversity now. Because when I was a kid. There were no like African American knights. There's African American knights. There's Hispanic knights. There's knights that are women now. They they understand the bisexuals. <laughs> Thank you. Finally. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Finally. I, I got in trouble when we were watching Wakanda Forever. Because every time Namor came up on the screen. First of all. Kulakukan or whatever. Is a real Mind God. And so I freaked out when they used that name. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know. I was like losing it. Um, but the entire time, every time we come on screen, I'm like, I love this actor. He's amazing. He's so pretty. That was Amber. Angrier and angrier. And it was so funny. Okay. I love that. But that was Amber the entire time. She was just salivating. And I'm over here afraid of the flying Aztec man. Listen, I want the flying Aztec man to take me dancing. I, I'm afraid of him. He scares me. Um, but yeah, oh, that was Amber when we saw it. She was just like, yes, please. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> eh. I was happy to I, see Michael B. Jordan again. I think mine was Angela Bassett. I am in awe of Angela Bassett whenever I see her. That is a she goddess. Mean. Oh my god! Just her, her presence in everything is just like just so regal. Like she's a thousand years old. Doesn't look it. Not at all. Like she's amazing. She's absolutely fantastic. Like she's sixty four. She's sixty four years old. <laughs> Did you know Bernadette Peters is in her 70s? Because yes. I sure as fuck didn't. Like, she's amazing. She's absolutely fantastic. 
there should Angela Bassett, American treasure. Uh, we're talking about black people doing good stuff because the book made us sad. Uh, so we will be back to read Dr. Zhivago in a couple of weeks. Hopefully by then Victoria is cured and we can return to recording in person. I hope so. I hope so. I'll try not to make you we eat weird Russian blood candy bars again. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It really wasn't, but it was very sweet. I was most put off by the coconut, if that says anything. <laughs> the coconut was the most off-putting part for me, not the blood. <sighs> but we I mean, I don't know what that says about us as people that were like, eh, so there was some blood. Right, like the blood wasn't the shocking part. It wasn't, it was coconut. I am beyond help. Uh, guys, it's crazy out there, including the toxic cloud hovering over Ohio. I mean, I don't really know if that's how you get swag like Ohio, but... Yeah, uh, there's a lot that's going on. Uh, so be kind to yourselves. Be kind to others. Uh, we are all over social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and at one handy location, unfortunately, requiredreading.com. Uh, I will be back on Twitter shortly. I was run off briefly because Elon Musk is a monster. Yeah. Evidently, he they're uh, taking away some of the crossover abilities from WordPress, too. So yes. that's going to be well, fun. WordPress is trying their best to fight it. I saw but it's not yeah listen we don't have time to talk about that it's the end of the episode and I will be upset uh, so uh, if you'd like to suggest a book uh, you can do so at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com Tori would you like to thank our uh, supporters I would thank you so much for being our amazing supporters for keeping as Amanda says the metaphorical and physical lights on um, as well as supporting the Wine and Cheese Fund, since we are now in person again when I'm not like this and, like, covered in my own snot. That's gross. That's a visual none of you need. Anyway, um, if you also would like to join our blessed brethren, you can go to anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading, and you can donate there. Um, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, you know what? Do some reading that you haven't read before. Just go, go read a book. We trust if, you. Make good choices. If you want something that's cute and queer and person of color affirming, there's an adorable romance novel called Honey Love um, about a queer couple that gets married in Vegas. Yeah, that I sounds really great. It. It's adorable. It made me very happy. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Uh, we have the Super Bowl tomorrow. That I do not care about. Is it bad that I just want Philadelphia to win because I want to see how much they burn down? Yes, I also want to see that. Um, I want them to win only for the fact that that city is going to be trashed. Um, but be safe. Go read a book. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.